The one thing that kids are notorious for, and mine are certainly in this group, is wanting to know why. And maybe if you've been the parent of young children before, and you remember that stage when they asked why incessantly, over and over and over, and Lucy, our oldest, she was probably at that stage earlier than the other two have been, and she still is, is there. She wants to know why about everything, and usually uh, now it, it's not annoying. It's genuine. Before, I think she just did it because she knew that would get on mommy and daddy's nerves, but, but she wants to know why about things. And, you know, honestly, I guess maybe in some way I've not grown up because I do too. I want to know why. I remember when I played high school and college baseball, and then later on as I uh, did different jobs and so on, I always wanted to know why I needed to do what I was told to do. I have to admit to you, I'm not a person who likes being told what to do. Just not. Maybe some of you are that way, and I'm not saying that's right or wrong. It's just the way that I sort of default to. I, I don't like people telling me what to do. And sometimes that's been really good. Because I've been able to stand on my own for a lot of things and not be affected by what other people say to me. And other times, that's gotten me in trouble. You just sometimes made to do what you're told. You know what I mean? And so, but I, I want to know why. The coaches I played for, I wanted them to help me understand why should I do that particular thing you're trying to get me to change about my swing or the way I throw or field or whatever. Uh, the, the teachers I had, it always helped me to understand why I should learn this or that, or what good will this do me? You ever ask that question, when am I ever going to use this again? And, and then the teachers and, and pastors I've had in church, I always wanted to know why. And so as a result of that, I've done the best I can, not always very good, but the best I can to help people understand why. Uh, when I was a baseball coach, I would go overboard when I was teaching a young man a certain thing about baseball to explain to him why. Because I wanted him at some point to be able to coach himself. I didn't want to have to do, him to depend upon me his entire career. I wanted him to learn it so well and understand the why that he could then go and do it on his own. And then as a youth pastor and as a pastor, my goal has been to help people understand the why behind what we should do rather than just you should do this or that. And so that's my goal in everything that I teach and everything that I hope to show you from the Scripture even today is the why behind something that's, I think, very evident in the Scripture. There's a, an unavoidable part of the Scripture that if we're going to be faithful to it, uh, then, then we have to look at the topic that we're going to see today. And so I want to give you the why on this important topic today. The Bible teaches about this particular top topic often, and I believe because of that, we should teach and preach and learn about it often as well. And like everything else, this is a spiritual issue that plays itself out in the physical world. I hope you understand there is not, according to God anyway, a difference between the spiritual and the physical. The spiritual should affect everything in the physical world. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, there is no excuse in the Bible found for sort of compartmentalizing. Well, this is a spiritual issue. I do this while I'm at church, and then, well, uh, these principles over here are strictly worldly. I have to do that, or business, or whatever it may be. The Scripture uh, and the spiritual always trumps and, and influences our physical world and how it plays out. And so, over the last few weeks, we have been in a series, and we'll wrap up today, called The Word on Money. The Word, of course, being the Scripture, the Bible. And we have been looking at what does the Bible say about how we should handle and be in relationship with 
the stuff that we have. And whether you have a lot or a little makes no difference. Whether you're somewhere in between really is not God's concern. It's your relationship with it. So over the last few weeks, we've looked at why your money is God's business. The reason? Because He is the Creator. It all comes from Him. Uh, He is holy and gets to set the rules, and He is our King, so we are, as His subjects, accountable to Him. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at the fact that your relationship with money is a window to your heart that reveals really who or what is in charge. And uh, since we didn't meet last week, it was two weeks ago now that we saw that the path to destruction and to disappointment begins with falling in love with your money and your stuff. And so this morning, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about giving. Now, I will tell you, first of all, you can relax. We have already taken the offering. And so we will not go for round two. We did not hold off on the offering so that somehow you might be encouraged and challenged and guilted and manipulated into giving more at the end of the service if we held off. And so today is not a day of an agenda, but a day of to make sure that we cover everything that the Bible has to say about money. And, and, and I believe we'll look at a passage this morning that sort of gives us the, the highlights from the New Testament on what God has to say about our giving. Now let me give you, uh, as we begin, a, a short background on the passage of Scripture that we're going to be looking at. Uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, Paul introduces some teaching And he's referring to a collection that he is taking up for the church in Jerusalem. Now, these early believers in Jesus faced some pretty tough times. A lot of them had come in from out of town, and as a result, the place where they were going to learn and to grow spiritually was in Jerusalem. They didn't go back home. They were pilgrims, so to speak, and they stayed there. And as a result, they didn't have jobs. They didn't have places to live. They couldn't afford lengthy stays in the inns and hotels during that time. And so they faced some difficult times economically. Not only that, but they were under persecution as people realized this is not just a phase. This is, in fact, a brand new deal instituted by the Messiah, Jesus Christ. These folks faced some serious persecution because it was not popular in that day to be a Christian. And so Paul, knowing all of this about the church in Jerusalem, is going to the different places and encouraging them to contribute toward the Jerusalem church to help meet their needs financially, to support them and to get their church going and so on. And so he's he's writing to the Corinthians, as we'll see in this particular chapter, encouraging them to contribute and referencing a church in Macedonia that had already done that. All right, so that's where we pick it up in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And I want you to look with me. We're going to read quite a bit of scripture this morning, so I want you to follow along. It'll be on the screen behind me, and you can follow there. I'd encourage you always to bring your Bible. I hope you get in the habit of looking things up and knowing where they are in the Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and Paul's writing this with all that stuff in mind. Here's what he says to the Corinthians. Verse 1, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. I testify that on their own, according to their ability and beyond their ability, they begged us insistently for the privilege of sharing in the ministry to the saints, and not just as we had hoped. Instead, they gave themselves especially to the Lord, then to us by God's will. So we urged Titus that just as he had begun, so he should also complete this grace to you. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, 
And in your love for us, excel in this grace also. I'm not saying this is a command. Rather, by means of the diligence of others, I am testing the genuineness of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Although he was rich for your sake, he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Now I am giving an opinion on this because it is profitable for you, who over a year ago began not only to do something, but also to desire it. But now finish the task as well, that that just as there was eagerness to desire it, so there also may be a completion from what you have. For if the eagerness is there, it is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what, what, what he does not have. Excuse me. It is not there that there may be relief for others and hardship for you, but it is a question of equality. At the, at the present time, your surplus is available for their need, so that their abundance may also become available for your need, that there may be equality. As it has been written, the person who gathered much did not have too much, and the person who gathered little did not have too little. And I want you to look at chapter 9. Verse 6, remember this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not out of regret or out of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he is scattered, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed and increase the harvest of your righteousness, as you are enriched in every way for all generosity, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. The ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many acts of thanksgiving to God. Through the proof of this service, they will glorify God for your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with others. And in their prayers for you, they will have deep affection for you because of the surpassing grace of God on you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Now, read all that to sort of give you an idea. What we're going to do is to look at what, what is Paul instructing? What is he telling us about giving? And then after that, what should we do as a result of learning that? So I want you to look on the back of your bulletin there. You'll see an outline you can sort of follow along with. And I encourage you to fill in the blanks, look at that, take it home, let it be a guide for you. Maybe study it a little bit further. And I want to look at some basic principles I believe Paul lays out here in these couple of chapters on giving. So let's look at what does the Word, the Bible, have to say on giving. First of all, It is a response to God's grace. It's a response to God's grace. In chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says this, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God granted to the churches of Macedonia. Paul leads with this. If you know Paul's story, he never forgot the grace of God. It was only by God's grace that he was a changed man and on his way to heaven instead of on his way to hell. That he had found Jesus Christ not because of how hard he had worked or how good he had been, but only because of the grace of God, giving him an undeserved gift. And salvation itself is evidence of the grace of God. We don't deserve it. We cannot earn it. There is nothing good, the Bible says, inherently in any of us. The only good we have is because God has acted on our behalf and brought us salvation, and that's the only reason there's anything whatsoever good in us. The change happens because of God's intervention. 
So our salvation, God's provision, the, even the ability to go and earn the money that then we are entrusted with, all comes from God, all because of His grace. And so Paul leads with that. He says, you know, we must never forget the grace of God. We always must remember what I am, what I would be, where I would be headed apart from Jesus Christ. One of these days, when I stand before the Lord, maybe I won't lead with this, but I'd love to know what would my life have been like apart from Jesus. I really don't know. I became a Christian when I was eight years old. And it's been since then that the Lord has been gracious to me to, to remind me, encourage me, and correct me often to keep me on the path that leads to growth in Him. I didn't experience, like maybe some of you have, that running from the Lord and those dark, dark times. I'm thankful God kept me from that. I don't say that in any way arrogantly. I'm just thankful I didn't have to go through that. But see so many people, they struggle through those things. Some of you have gotten a glimpse of what you would be apart from Jesus. Some of you, maybe you're like me, and you really don't know, although you get glimpses because of your sin, of the depravity that's in your heart. But I'd love to know, what would I be? Without Jesus. Well, it helps me remember the grace of God that without Him, I'd certainly be on my way to hell and eternal punishment apart from Jesus Christ. And Paul never forgot that. His life and his ministry, they were, they were set on fire by the grace of God. By his, his meeting with the Lord on the road to Damascus where Jesus radically changed his life. And Paul reminds us here that we are forever in debt to God because of His grace. That we always owe Him. Thankfully, He's not asking us then to pay Him back for what we cannot pay back. But we have that feeling that in the back of our minds, you know what? If it weren't for God, I wouldn't be here. If it weren't for God, I certainly wouldn't be on this path. And so the giving that Paul will then instruct them about is a response, first of all, and primarily to God's grace. Secondly, it doesn't depend on circumstances. It doesn't depend on circumstances. And this one is key. Make sure that you understand this one. Verse 2, as he refers to the churches of Macedonia, he says, During a severe testing by affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. That almost seems like a misprint to me. You know, you read some, some things in the Bible and you just think, Somewhere along the line, the translators got it wrong. Out of their poverty, it overflowed into the wealth of their generosity. Those things don't go together. Poverty and generosity in our world don't seem to go together. We, we would equate a poverty with just an awful situation. Well, okay, I guess it's okay if they're not generous. I mean, good grief, they don't have anything. And Paul gives us just the opposite of that. These people in Macedonia, they were poor. They were persecuted because of their faith. They, they had every reason to focus on themselves and their situation. You ever been there? You've probably been there this week. Maybe over the last month. You say, you know what? I, I, I like other people, and that's great. But let me tell you, I've got some hardship of my own. And yet they had every reason to tell Paul, look, just come back later. We'll, we'll give when we have some more. But there was no situation they could face that would hinder their devotion. To Jesus. Some of us would say, well, I can't afford to give. I think Paul and the Macedonians would laugh at that. And I say that sort of tongue-in-cheek, but I, I, I think that's probably the case. That if Paul or these Macedonian Christians were to show up in 21st century America and would see the Christians of our world, many of whom give, many of whom do not, 
And he would say to them, well, why? Well, I, I can't afford to. You don't understand my financial situation. I think Paul would, would laugh. I think the Macedonians would have some strong words for us as believers who say we have received the grace of God, but I can't afford then to give back to God. I think they would have some strong words for that. And I do want to pause this morning and say to many of you, and I have no record, I don't see who gives and who doesn't, I just want you to know that, so I'm not looking at you for any particular reason if I look around, I'll just keep glancing like this. But I want to, I want to applaud and to, to praise those of you who have been faithful over the years in your giving to God, toward the ministry of this church and to other areas of ministry. Even when times have gotten tough, maybe your poverty, as Paul says here, has overflowed into generosity. I applaud that. I think that's right on. And so for some of you today, this is not meant to scold you in any way. I'm not trying to coerce you. As I said, we've taken the offering. We won't go around again. Everything's okay. But at the same time, there are some, I'm sure, who maybe you can say, you know what, I I understand what you're saying. You're probably talking to me today. But you know what, I've made excuses for the reasons why I haven't given to God. And I see this story of the Macedonians, and I'm challenged. I heard a story once of a guy who came to his pastor after he had come into some money. And he told his pastor, you know, look, when I was making less money, listen, it it was really easy for me to to tithe on that, to give to the church, because it, it really wasn't a lot. And he said, you know, now that I've gotten all this much more money, I just don't think I can afford to give anymore. Would you pray for me? And the pastor, in, in, in some, some in-the-moment wisdom, said, certainly, let, let's pray. So they knelt there at the altar of the church at the end of the service. And, and the pastor began to pray, and he said, Dear Lord, I, I pray that you would help this man to lose his job, that you would absolutely bankrupt him so that he can once again afford to give to the church. And, and you know, and of course, the, the guy... The guy, I'm not sure, joined him in that prayer, but isn't it interesting how sometimes we say, well, I can't afford to give. I believe the biblical principles teach us we can't afford not to give back to the Lord. The economy may change, and we have certainly in America experienced some tough times over the last couple of years. The economy may change, but what doesn't change is the grace of God that compels us to obedience in this area, that inspires us to do more ministry and evangelism. So it doesn't depend on circumstances. The Bible makes that clear. But there's nothing, no circumstance that should deter us from our obedience to God. Thirdly, it calls for discipline and sacrifice. It calls for discipline and sacrifice. In verses 3 through 5 of chapter 8, Paul says that they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. According to their ability simply means it wasn't random. They were focused. They were intentional on what they were going to give. It was, it was a result of their having thought it out. If you think about the history of, of what the Bible teaches in biblical giving, uh, there, there was, of course, the, the tithe is the one word, a tenth of all that we have, uh, is, is sort of the biblical standard for giving. It was uh, put in place before the law uh, and then was enforced by the law. And then in the New Testament, though you'll not find, I will admit this, You will not find instruction in the New Testament that says you should tithe. But what I find there is it's sort of implicit. It's just implied that that was part of the deal. In fact, for the Jewish people, that was the baseline. That was the minimum. There was no negotiating. There was no, well, you know, maybe I could get out of this. That was just what the law had required for them. And so when Paul talks about excelling and and, and all of that, he sort of implies that the minimum is that 10%, and then we are to go past that. The biblical giving, I'll tell you this, has always been off the top. 
If I were to come in this morning and offer you uh, the leftovers from my breakfast, you would probably look at me like I was crazy, particularly if you were hungry. It probably would not reflect a genuine love for you if I said, hey, I'm going to bring you some breakfast. Let me tell you, next Sunday morning, you guys all show up, and I'm going to have something for you. And you've got a few crumbs on the plate, some half-eaten stuff sitting there. You would think, what in the world? But that's somehow the way we think that God should just receive whatever we give him. We give him leftovers. Biblical giving has always been off the top. Before anybody else gets paid, God gets paid, according to the Scripture. And it requires, obviously, some discipline in the formation of a habit. The 10%, as I mentioned, was the norm. That was the minimum for the Jews. Now, the percentage giving has always been the way of the Bible. Percentage giving. And it has always been off the top. And in the New Testament and in today's world, that gift is meant to support the ministry of the local church. Uh, what they, they gave toward. Where you are fed, where you want to be involved, that's where that giving is to go. And that may require the discipline, I'll tell you this, of limiting some other expenses that you may have. In order for you to be able to give to God like the Scripture says, you may have to alter your lifestyle just a little bit. And boy, nobody wants to hear that today. You say, well, listen, you don't understand. My lifestyle has already been altered for me over the last couple of years. And I understand. But for some of us, we say, well, I can't afford to give. Why? Because we consume everything we receive. The Bible says the blessings we have are not just for our consumption. No matter what anybody on television or in books would want to tell you that the blessings of God are just for you to enjoy and have the greatest life that you could ever have, the Bible makes it clear those blessings are not just for that. They're meant then to provide for us the opportunity to be a blessing to others. And so I encourage you to start this discipline now of percentage giving. It's not something you have to pray about. You don't have to pray about if God wants you to be a giver. Don't have to do that. Pretty clear in the Scripture. So it requires discipline. also requires sacrifice. It said they, they gave beyond their ability. Out of their poverty, they gave according to their ability and beyond. That then reflects, of course, the gift of God's Son. He sacrificed for us. It's that 10% and then beyond, a gift of faith that requires that we are stretched just a little bit. There's no materialism, you can tell, in these Macedonians. There's no greed. They sacrificed so that ministry and evangelism could get done. So it calls for discipline and sacrifice. If you say, well, it's going to be tough for me to, to give to God off the top, yes, it probably will be. It requires discipline and a habit. It requires sacrifice. It's also a test of sincerity and love. A test of sincerity and love. But Paul makes the point that he's, he's not trying to command them to do something. He's saying, look, I, I'm testing the sincerity of your, of your love. Do you really love God? Do you really love people? And Paul says, if you do, it will be evident in how you give. And so it's really a spiritual issue. It shouldn't have to be required or commanded. That's why I'm not going to stand up and beat you over the head to say, if you're not doing this or that, that's not the point. Why we're not going to take up another offering here in a minute. It shouldn't have to be required. It shouldn't have to be commanded. I don't have to be legalistic with you. The Macedonians proved their sincerity and their love for God and for others by their sacrificial and generous giving. The truth is that talk, as the Bible says and makes reference to, talk is cheap. If you truly love God, you'll handle money His way. You'll take His principles seriously and you'll adjust your life accordingly. You can give, let me say this, you can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. 
Think about it as a friend, as a parent, as a grandparent. You can give without loving, but you cannot love without giving. Biblical giving is a test of our sincerity and love. It's also meant to be a blessing to you and to others. Paul highlights this in verses 10 to 15 of chapter 8 when he says, Look, it's not meant so that you won't have anything. No, no, no. In fact, it's meant so that you'll be blessed by that and that others will then also receive that blessing. The Bible makes it clear what goes around comes around. The ministry of the church helps both you and others in very tangible and sometimes intangible ways. And when we give, you probably have experienced this. We're blessed. We're filled. We're satisfied. We're rewarded by God. And then others benefit from the ministry that is funded by those gifts. I think of the things that are going on now here at Elm Grove. We just dismissed our children. Some of you, I would encourage you, just every once in a while, maybe you take a break. This is maybe your excuse not to come and hear me preach. Take a break from the morning service, maybe once over the next couple of months, and just go peek in. Just see what they're doing. Just see what your gifts are helping to to teach them. Sometimes it's difficult because we don't see, well, I put the money in there and it kind of goes down and I want to try to get it back. But, you know, okay, I'll give it. And what does it go for? Well, you see the evidence of that. The kids, they're... Our students recently, Jeremy mentioned a couple Sunday nights ago, went on a ski trip, took several students. Uh, they are doing ministry for those kids, teaching them the Bible. Our upcoming date night, I, I'm, I'm thankful to be able to tell all of the folks we're inviting, totally free. You just show up. We're not going to hinder you in any way. You just come. Totally free. For some folks, that may encourage them to be here. We have open gym every Tuesday night, 10 or 12 guys, some of whom go to church here, some do not. Cornhole, Sunday afternoons. We didn't have a facility. We didn't have a building. We couldn't do things like that. Our college group that's meeting on Wednesday nights, having 8 to 10 college students every Wednesday night that are studying God's Word and learning what it means to follow Him. We have a young couples group that meets on Monday nights with anywhere from, from 5 to 6 couples typically that are getting together. We had our senior adult night back in the fall that was a huge success. Over 50 senior adults got together right in here. If it weren't for the giving, of God's faithful servants. None of that stuff is possible. We all benefit from that. The growth and, and, and greater effectiveness in making disciples requires the faithful giving of God's people. The blessings then spill over because there's something about seeing your family, your friends, your neighbors, our community changed by the power of Jesus. There's something about that, some feeling there that is associated with that that makes it all worth it. So it's meant to be a blessing to you and others. And also, I will say this, and Paul, I'm thankful, mentions this. It must be met with accountability. It must be met with accountability. I won't read you all the verses, but in chapter 8, verses 16 to 24, Paul references the fact that, look, you are going to give, and it will be a, a significant collection. And let me tell you, we know that we need to be trustworthy with that, that we need to be accountable before God and before people. And so he tells them, here's what we're doing to make sure that your money is taken care of and used in the best way possible. And so, even though the church is not a business, nor do we intend in any way to run it like a business, we still, as best we can, operate by some wise financial principles. Highlight just a couple. We never leave any one person alone with the money. There's always two people around. Just for accountability's sake. 
And that, that doesn't reflect on the trustworthiness of our leaders because we have tried as best we can to select the most trustworthy people that we can find and empower them to use and to spend the money as best they can. But at the same time, we try to provide accountability. We also maintain confidentiality. As I said, I have no idea how much or little you give, and I don't want to know. I'll never look at that report. I have no desire to do that. that, that the people who know that is a very small group. And only the people who need to know, know that. We try to be as transparent as possible. We print our monthly reports on our spending and so on, and that's available to you. We're not trying to be nitpicky. We're just trying to be accountable. And so what is spent is done for good reason. It's under the banner of making disciples or encouraging fellowship or equipping the believers for ministry and then reaching the lost with the good news of Jesus. That's what we're about. So it's met with accountability and then finally, it's, it's the catalyst for contentment, for joy, and for God's blessing. And if you remember nothing else today, remember this. That there are those things you really want in your life, and most of them, I would, I would guess, if you're honest with yourself, they're intangible. There are things, there's something on the inside of you. I want contentment in my life. I, I don't want to constantly be striving for something else and be dissatisfied. I want joy in my life. I want God's blessing. And if that means material, great. But I want God's spiritual blessing as well. I want Him to fill me up. Giving is the catalyst for all that. It's what gets it going. Contentment, I looked up what it means. We say that word and think, what does that mean? It's a satisfied state. Tranquil happiness. Pleased. Gratified. Comfortable. At rest. Very few people are described by those words. There's something supernatural about giving that brings contentment in our lives. Joy. Look this up. I think it's interesting. Extreme gladness, pleasure, radiance, lightheartedness, and I like this one, buoyancy. Joy. It, it keeps you afloat. It, it, it puts a bounce in your step. Few things unlock joy like giving. That's what a worthy cause. God's blessing. The truth is that He uniquely blesses generous and cheerful givers. Uniquely. You may consider yourself a generous giver. Maybe you've seen God's blessing. Just something specific that you just say, you know what, I could tell you story after story after story of how God has come through, what He's done. Maybe it's tangible. Maybe it's intangible. But understand, God has no limits. There's no limit on His blessing. And there's no way then to fully predict what He's going to do. And so I can't tell you that if you give... You send your $20 in right now, that it will then multiply a hundredfold. I think that's garbage. I think that's a lie. And I think, honestly, it's because we cannot predict, nor should we even attempt to predict, what God will do. My encouragement to you is give. Just see what God does. He'll provide. He'll take care of your needs. Human wisdom would say that the way to prosperity, it comes from trying to gain more wealth, not from giving it away. God, thankfully, does not operate by human wisdom. He teaches the exact opposite. So you may say, well, okay, that truth all sounds pretty good. I understand that. Maybe you've gotten a little survey now on what the New Testament has to say about giving now. What do I do? Here's what I want to challenge you with. Three things. The first is this. Become a percentage giver. Become a percentage giver. Start this week. Make a plan. 
It's going to require discipline. It's going to require sacrifice. But make a plan to get what seems to be, to get to, to where what seems to be the, the biblical baseline, 10%. Maybe you say, on my next check, the next income I receive, off the top, God gets paid first. I'm just going to make that decision now. Now, I want to, I want to warn you. There's probably going to, if you're not a percentage giver right now, everything in the world is going to try to be thrown at you this week or this month to keep you from making that decision or from being firm on that decision. But maybe this month, this week, you step out in faith and say, you know what, I don't care what happens. God gets paid first out of that next income, no matter what. It does take discipline and sacrifice, and it probably won't be easy. But make the decision that God no longer gets leftovers. So become a percentage giver. You know, if you think about it, if you started and you said by the 1st of March, maybe you're giving 0% right now. By the 1st of March, 1%. You realize if you do that over the next 10 months, by the end of the year, you'll be at 10%. Add 1% a month. Start somewhere. Start somewhere. Trust the Lord a little bit more each month. Become a percentage giver. Secondly, become a spontaneous giver. Become a spontaneous giver. Just look for ways to minister through your money and your stuff. And then do it. Don't pray about it. Just look for some way. You know, this person has a need. All right, hey, I've got some resources. I'll meet that need. Or this ministry is worthwhile or, or whatever. I, I'm going to give toward that just spontaneously. I wasn't planning on it, but you know what? I feel like that's probably what God wants me to do. I'll give to that. There's some ideas I've got for you. Maybe you'd say, you know what? I, I've got some... Some, some vested interest in this date night thing. You know what? I just I don't know what, what money's needed. I'll just give a small gift toward that. Or, as I'm encouraging you to do from, from time to time, maybe this week you'd go through the drive-thru somewhere and you'd use this little card. And you say, you know what? I haven't been thinking about it, but I talked to a friend of mine this week, and he told me, he said, you know, it hit me the other day. I was in the drive-thru, and I remember. I got one of those cards in my wallet. Hmm, maybe I ought to use that. Just spontaneous giving. Those cards are found there in the back table, and just pay for the person's meal behind you and pray for them and trust that the Lord will minister to them through that. Just spontaneous giving. Maybe you find somebody this week who's just in need and just spontaneously say, you know what, I'm going to give them something toward that. So become a percentage giver. Become a spontaneous giver. And then thirdly, become a generous giver. I've made you write the word giver three times. And that's on purpose. I'm the one who makes the outline. I want you to become a giver, generous giver, above and beyond. The truth is, some of us have been at 10% for a long time. But maybe we say, you know what? I want to go to new levels of generosity. And maybe, maybe this week I'm going to plan, how can I get to 11%? How can I get to 15%? What do I need to do in my life to get by a certain time to where I'm giving maybe more than I'm keeping? Maybe you'd be radical. You just see how much joy is found in that. And that certainly requires more discipline and more sacrifice. Maybe you'd give toward something specific, just in a generous way. So I encouraged you earlier with the buckets for Haiti. Be as generous as you can. Just fill those things up. Let's see how much we can bless those people. Now, as we close this morning, I want to show you something that, that's, that's pretty amazing. Um, and I want to do something very unusual. I'd like the, the guys who, who collected the offering, our ushers this morning, I, I didn't ask you guys to do this, but if you don't mind to come forward, I'm not, you know, not going to embarrass you in any way. I just need your help. If, those four guys, if you don't mind, just make your way down here and you stand right here. Very few, very few times probably in your life will you ever 
get something out of the offering plate. All right, now, <clears throat> some of you want to make change, you know, in the offering plate and understand that, put in a 20, want to take out a 10 or whatever, look for, you know, some ones or I don't know, but but this morning I want to, as we as we hand out something, I want to show you something on the screen, that's sort of impressive, and so you just kind of watch that, and then then I want you to receive something as well. So hang on before we go with the video, all right? So you need to do this expediently, all right? Can we can we do that? I don't want to break your heart, but I'm not going to hand these things back out, these offering plates that have all the money. I've got I've got something else. So you're probably going to be a little disappointed now. But what I have for each of you is a domino. And you're just saying, what in the world is a domino for? You're going to find out in just a minute. But what I'd like for you to do is take one per person. All right? Pass those back and forth. Just take one and check this out on the screen as you do that. Go ahead, guys. Somewhere between three and four million dominoes, I think it was. That was in 2008, and then they set another record in 2009 at Domino Day. I had no idea they did that. They have a crowd and all that. It's pretty impressive. That's only about three and a half minutes worth of about 20 minutes of highlights. It takes a long time for all that stuff to fall. It took them two months to set it all up. And it's interesting that all of that got started with one Domino. With one. And as a chain reaction... All the others begin to fall. And you see these incredible pictures unfold and these, these really unique things. And, and they had certain certain order of all of that, but it started with just one domino. You hold in your hand a domino. I want to challenge you. Don't leave this in the pew. Don't forget about it in your pants pocket. Don't throw it in the glove compartment. Put it somewhere this week. And there are two groups here today that I want to address. I know that there are many, many, many believers in Jesus Christ here today. Many people who have said, you know what, I've received His free gift of salvation, placed my faith in Him, and I want to do the best I can to live for Him. I want to challenge you. Maybe the domino in your life that needs to fall is giving. And you say, you know, I want contentment. I want joy. I really want God's blessing in my life. I want to do life God's way. And maybe you say, you know what, that domino that first one needs to fall is giving. Maybe it's percentage giving. And this week you push that domino over. Maybe it's spontaneous giving. You're already a percentage giver. And so, you know, I just maybe it's spontaneous. Or maybe it's generous giving. And maybe that domino needs to fall in your life, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of where you find yourself. Challenge you. Encourage you. Let that domino fall. There are others in this room who may not yet be believers in Jesus Christ. Maybe you have been acting like it, but you know on the inside, you know what, I've never done that. I've never given my life to Him. The first domino for you that needs to fall is not giving. It's faith. Because until that falls, until the domino of faith hits everything else, you are still apart from Jesus Christ and will spend eternity apart from Him in a place called hell. And so I encourage you, maybe it's giving for you as a believer. Maybe it's faith for you as a person who's not yet a believer. Keep that domino with you this week and be reminded of what can happen when the first one gets pushed over. And so as you leave today, be encouraged, be challenged, and be reminded of what needs to fall so that you can experience contentment, fulfillment, joy, and God's blessing 
in your life. God is for you. He wants the best for you. He wants to intervene in your life and to meet your needs and bring all of that. Let the domino fall this week that needs to facilitate all of that. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes, and I want you to reflect just a second on what it is maybe that God has said to you this morning. Maybe He's challenged you in a specific area of your life. Maybe it's pertaining to giving. Maybe it's that percentage giving. You say, God, you know what? I don't know how it's going to happen. Lord, I commit to you that my very next income, you get a percentage off the top. You get it. Maybe it's spontaneous giving. You just pray right now, Lord, help me to see where I can just give. I can meet a need. Maybe it's generous giving. You say, Lord, I've been at 10% maybe for a while, but I really want to be more generous than that. Help me to have the discipline, the sacrifice, the willingness that it takes to push those dominoes over the swing. There may be a person here who realizes the domino you hold is one of faith. Faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. And you need to push that one over this morning and say yes to Jesus. To invite Him into your life. There are no magic words, no specific prayer. It's simply by admitting to the Lord, I have messed up. I am a sinner and I need your salvation. Lord, I may not have all the answers, but I just want you in my life. Help me then to know what I should do. Push that domino of faith over If you need prayer this morning, I'll be standing down here. If you'd like to talk about that domino of faith that needs to fall, I'll be here. Or you can contact me throughout the week. Don't leave here today without being challenged to receive joy, contentment, and God's blessing through generous, sacrificial, percentage, spontaneous giving. And then above and beyond that, to receive salvation through the domino of faith. Heavenly Father, thank you for your challenge this morning. Remind us this week to push those dominoes over. To not worry about circumstances, but to understand that you have something far beyond that for us and to trust you as we give to you. Thank you for the ministry of this church. Lord, we pray that you would help us to reach more and to effectively minister to more people. We thank you your sacrifice. Lord, we thank you we can never outgive you. Thank you for your provision, for salvation, for your love for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.